Get ready, folks. Nick's first-hand knowledge, what he went through, what brought him to this mission. Such a brave soul, absolute warrior. Sean. Hey, Nick. How's it going, man? Pretty good. How are you? Good to meet you. Absolutely fantastic. Now, our mission statement on this channel is to end the war on drugs, take all those trillions, you know, they've spent to keep nothing in terms of stopping the drug flow and take it and go after predators. Watch your um, interview on Valuetainment. I'm a friend of Patrick. I've been on it myself. Absolutely blown away by by your mission. It dovetails into what we're trying to do. Your first-hand on-the-ground knowledge, the harrowing story, you know, of the, of the kids were getting trafficked to the bomber and all that kind of stuff. So absolutely salute you. Could you just tell the people watching this this evening then a little bit about you by way of introduction, please? Sure. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, definitely uh, like the the direction you're going with, uh, you know, helping us fight fight predators. So uh, again, I'm Nick McKinley. I'm the founder and CEO of Deliver Fund. We're a nonprofit uh, private intelligence company that helps law enforcement hunt down human traffickers so they can put them in jail where they belong. Absolutely. But um, let's take us through the complete journey of how you got there. Sure. So I uh, uh, started my career in military special operations in the United States Air Force as a pararescueman. I then transitioned, uh, did a couple of years of private personal recovery work, uh, primarily for financial institutions. And then uh, and it, when I say private personnel recovery work, what that usually meant was that some very wealthy investment banker went overseas, did something stupid, usually involving alcohol and women. And uh, then I was the guy who had to go get them out of that situation before the uh, financial analysts found out and their stock price went down. So I did that for a couple of years uh, and then got uh, got a very interesting call asking if I would be interested in uh, joining a program at the Central Intelligence Agency. So I did. And it turned out to be a a phenomenal career. Uh, But in the course of that career, I kept bumping into the human trafficking problem overseas and and then in the United States and decided that it was something I had to do something about. And that's, you know, on this channel, we started out with stories of true crime prisoners. Then we went ex-cops, ex-prison guards, victims of abuse. And you said something very emotional that resonated that when you look at that problem, it is something you can't turn away from then. You've just got to do something about it. And what led to that moment? Uh, yeah. So I actually was quoting uh, actually uh, William Wilberforce, one of uh, one of your fellow uh, countrymen who, who was really the driver for uh, uh, dismantling the, the white slave trade that was happening to uh, to America uh, and and the rest of the world, and so uh, he he really said, you know, in one of his uh, one of his speeches to Parliament that once once you know, you can never you can't look away, and you can never again say you did not know. And that was really where I was where I was focused. Uh, most of the work that I did at the CIA was counter narcotics related, counter uh, counter terrorism related, and 
we kept bumping into human trafficking, but there was really nobody to to take the intelligence on the human trafficking activity that we were finding and pass that off to somebody. Uh, and I'm sure you heard me say it on Valuetainment, and I've said it many, many times, you know, at least here in America, um, we have a drug enforcement agency, yet 90% of drugs are legal, uh, right? I mean, even, even cocaine is used to numb the retina for eye surgery. So we have an entire government bureaucracy that spends tens of billions of dollars a year fighting what is the illicit sale of legal commodities, right? Through the, through the war on drugs. How's that going? Um, uh, having, having personally participated in it, I can tell you it's not going near as well as we would want it to. Uh, you know, we have in the United States, we have the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. Alcohol, tobacco and firearms are all legal. Um, in fact, firearms are actually constitutionally protected in the United States. And yet we have a massive bureaucracy that spends billions of dollars a year, a year fighting what is the illicit sale of legal commodities. Last time I checked on almost every country on earth, slavery, which is what we're talking about here, right? Human trafficking is just a very, very uh, polished word for slavery. Slavery is illegal. And yet we don't have a single government bureaucracy here in the United States or really anywhere else in the world that is solely focused on the human trafficking, on the slavery problem. And we're going to get to more of that. Was it your work through the CIA that led you to the bomber who was trafficking kids? Um, that That's, yes, one of the stories uh, that got me into this, um, as far as who I was working for and what I was doing, whether it was the military or the CIA, um, is, is really irrelevant. Um, it was a, but yes, uh, we were, I was working overseas. I was actually in, in Afghanistan and we found a, uh, a human trafficker who was actually selling children to bomb builders. And the bomb builder was using the children to test their bombs because uh, they wanted to make sure that they wouldn't go off if a child stepped on them, not because they cared about the child, but because they were trying to kill uh, you know, US and British soldiers. Uh, I was actually living on a British military outpost uh, at the time. And when we found this information on a human trafficker, we couldn't, I mean, there, there's really nobody to to give that intelligence to. There's no presidential mandate to report that information. Um, and even if we did, who do we push it to? So think about that. I mean, we're, we're, we're two of the most powerful countries and empires the world has ever seen. Militarily, intelligence, from an intelligence capacity, from a law enforcement capacity, from a technology capacity, from an economic capacity. I mean, by any way you measure it, we're talking about, the, I mean, the Western world is, is more powerful now than it's ever been in any point in history. And yet we can kill people with flying robots from 6,000 miles away, but we don't have anybody who's solely focused on the human trafficking problem. So I'm sure you know uh, you know, some of the, the boys from, uh, from Harefield or, or from some of the uh, uh, former SAS guys or special boat unit guys or something in your country, right? You know, your, your top level operators. Ask them how many of them have ever done a human trafficking mission? Not going after a drug trafficker who also happened to traffic children 
or going after a bomb builder who also happened to traffic children, ask them how many times they got a mission where their sole purpose was to confront a human trafficker and bring them to justice. And you'll find, I, I will actually be shocked if you can find even one instance. All I know from my life are, you know, former spies um, on both sides of the pond. I know, uh, you know, the best of the military operators from both sides of the pond. And when I start asking all my friends, have you ever done a human trafficking mission? I couldn't find a single one who said yes. Some of my partners in law enforcement and friends in law enforcement had, but we're talking about such a small number. Imagine if we took all of the resources that we put into the counter narcotics fight and we put that into the human trafficking fight. Human trafficking would be done. I mean, it, it would just be done. Uh, we put it into the child exploitation fight. It would be done. Um, so, it, you know, and I'm not saying that the, the counter narcotics fight is not important. I think in many ways it actually is very important because of what it feeds. Um, and it really depends on kind of what layer and what level you're looking at. And I think we're just now as a society starting to get to see, you know, where we need to pay attention and where we don't, uh, because we've been paying attention to everything and that's just not working. So we're, we're starting to understand that. But I do think that what we can all agree on uh, across all levels is that the exploitation of humans, um, especially the exploitation of children, regardless of if it's forced labor or commercial sex in nature, is absolutely wrong. And it's the last of the black and white issues, right? The last of the absolute binary issues. You're with us or against us on this issue. And if you're against us, uh, please reach out and let us know. We'll be happy to make you a target. <laughs> I'm sure people are curious about the bomb maker. What type of bombs and how did he trick the kids to step on bombs? So uh, I don't want to get into the details. Uh, I'm not really authorized to do that. But what I can say is that uh, the the bombs that he was building were triggered by pressure. Uh, and he, it wasn't a matter of tricking the children just had no idea, uh, what, what was going on. Um, and so he just wanted to make sure that the, the pressure that a child created wouldn't set off the bomb, but the pressure that you or I would create would. How does trafficking occur mostly in modern America? Uh, really in the same way it does in the entire Western world. Uh, most, when, when we talk about human trafficking holistically across the world, um, we were predominantly looking at forced labor. But when we start talking about Western societies, we're predominantly talking about commercial sex. Um, now, when we talk commercial sex, commercial sex trafficking, oftentimes that looks the same as prostitution to the untrained eye, two very, very different things, right? Um, people who are prostituted um, are, not are not engaging in that activity through fraud, force, or coercion. Human trafficking victims are being forced into that situation. Um, so while on the surface, it might look the same, it's actually very different. And most of this in the Western world happens online. You know, the red light districts of, uh, you know, or, or in America where in only one county prostitution is legal throughout the rest of the country, it, it's illegal. But everybody knew that there was the, the wrong side of 
uh, you know, the wrong side of town that you could go to where you could find, you know, uh, uh, women who were being prostituted, walking what they call the track. Uh, you don't see that as much anymore because with the advent and the pro the proliferation of the smartphone and readily accessible, uh, you know, internet right on the phone, people can find what they're looking for uh, within the commercial sex industry right online, which means that this all happens behind closed doors. So it's much more difficult for law enforcement to find. How young are the girls that these traffickers are grooming and manipulating and what methods do they employ to gain their confidence? In the United States, the best statistics that we have come from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which is a private nonprofit that works with the government to do very much what we do um, just on the child exploitation side. Um, they're specifically focused on missing kids and then a lot on the child pornography issue. Um, their statistics show that the average age of entry into the human trafficking cycle is 12 to 14 years old. So think about that. Mm. A 12 to 14 year old girl is then manipulated this day and age, often through social media or other internet communication or, you know, internet enabled communication. So we've seen it from gaming consoles and, and the like, uh, and they're manipulated into thinking that the person on the other end of that communication is going to solve all their problems. So one of the best things that parents can do is make sure that their that their teenage girls understand that nobody is the solution to all of their problems and when some boy comes along who some good-looking older boy comes along who you know has the solution to all their problems they need to run in the other direction um, now there are also uh, young boys who are trafficked. Uh, we've been involved in a number of those cases. Um, and the youngest that we have seen has been four years old. Uh, but many of our partners at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children have seen children uh, much younger. Do you have any individual stories of situations you've encountered whereby you could describe the methods used to keep that person in captivity or manipulate them, how they kept the parents mm -hmm. uh, at bay, that, that kind of thing. What actually happens is pretty gruesome. And so we probably won't get into that, but there is a, there is a, uh, what, once, once the girls are manipulated to the point that, that they can make physical contact with the trafficker. And then even then the trafficker will continue to manipulate them. And this happens over a period of months to sometimes years. Uh, so they bring them in, um, in into their into what they call their stable. Uh, it's literally what they refer to it as. They bring them into their stable, um, you know, physically, sexually, emotionally torment them and abuse them uh, in order to just break their spirit. Uh, and they immediately get them hooked on narcotics as fast as possible. Uh, usually it's heroin. Um, we have seen cocaine. Uh, we have seen um you know, Percocet, uh, you know, other types of opiates, but usually it's heroin. Uh, and heroin is a business decision, right? It's not the cheapest narcotic. Uh, you know, why aren't they using alcohol or marijuana? Well, because they're not getting the same effect they want. So while they will beat in these, these girls brutally, um, you know, abuse them brutally, they have to 
have these girls in good enough condition in order to be able to sell them for an hour. Uh, and so they can't have them all black and blue. So what they do is they get them hooked on increasingly high levels of, of usually heroin. Um, and then if they, if they get out of line, then what they'll do is they'll just withhold the heroin. Um, and the trafficking victims that we've talked to who've been uh, addicted to these high levels of heroin, many of them will uh, don't even know how to shoot themselves up. They are completely reliant on the trafficker or what is called, um, you know, the bottom girl, um, which is essentially the, the trafficker's business manager, um, completely reliant on them in order to get their heroin fix. So then if they get out of line, the trafficker withholds the heroin. Uh, these victims have told us that the uh, that it feels like their bones are breaking from inside their body that they they start to they start to hurt so bad from the heroin withdrawals and they'll get to the point where they will do anything in order to get the heroin. And so that's what that's what the trafficker does. Um, and there's another much uh, uh, I'm assuming there's not a lot of young children that listen to your podcast. So no, 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 you're fine. You can say anything you want. You're fine. Yeah. If there are uh, any parents with young children, this is probably a good time to turn this off. Um, there's another reason that they use heroin, uh, and it's because if a uh, if the girl gets too out of line and they just need to do away with her, they can give her what they call a hot shot, and they can just OD her on heroin. And then law enforcement shows up to the hotel room and sees what appears to be a prostitute on the floor uh, with a heroin needle hanging out of her arm, and they're like, "Oh, just another just another opiate OD, cut and dry, you know, closed case." And now the trafficker. Uh, doesn't have to worry about law enforcement pursuing a, a homicide uh, because it because everything appears that this is just a you know a, a heroin junkie who OD'd. Good grief! I'm getting a bit speechless here. That's absolutely horrific. Going back to the prevention phase of this, then earlier on you said about parents looking out for guys approaching girls 12 to 14, for example, offering to solve all their problems. Do these guys pose as boyfriends initially? Is that what you meant? Yes, absolutely. So the really statistically any, or, or not statistically, when you look at the, the holistic human trafficking problem, really any vulnerable person is uh, is vulnerable to being taken advantage of by human traffickers. Um, now you start adding in uh, lower socioeconomic status, um, specifically with girls, you add uh, the lack of a positive male role model. Uh, you add, uh, right, we're in the middle of a COVID pandemic. Um, some of these kids, the, really the only structure they had was to go to school and we took that away from them. And then we handed them a, a laptop uh, and gave them unrestricted access to the internet. So now they're bored sitting around on the internet with all of those other complications. And what happens? And they end up coming into contact with traffickers. Uh, so, so you start adding all those complicating factors in and you end up with vulnerable populations that are being, uh, you know, that are being preyed upon. So for, for not just parents, but also the friends of other teenage girls to, to pay attention to what's going on. I know when I was growing up, my friends knew way more about what was happening to me uh, and going on with me in my life than my parents did. 
Um, and that is definitely the case predominantly with, with teenage girls. Um, and so for a, for a teenage girl to recognize when one of her friends is being groomed into a trafficking situation is, is actually the best form of prevention um, from, from a, just a, a general public noticing what's going on. But we believe, and this is really the thesis of our organization, we believe that the ultimate form of prevention for human trafficking is not to have any human traffickers, right? A human trafficker is the common denominator in this equation. And when we remove them, the equation falls apart. You cannot have a trafficking victim if you do not have a human trafficker. And so that is where we spend our time and resources. So as the girls and boys age in captivity, does the reach a point whereby the traffickers, they're of no further use to the traffickers? And what happens to them at that point? The, so yes, that's exactly what happens. Uh, at a certain point, there's really three different paths that the, that the trafficking victims will take. Um, oftentimes you will see them on the side of the road uh, and they look very much like a uh, washed up person who is being prostituted. Uh, well, if the trafficker just kicks them out of, of his stable because he doesn't want to deal with them anymore or, or he feels like he can replace them with somebody who's going to be more compliant, uh, be, uh, you know, bring in more money, uh, then then they'll just just kick them out. Um, that's actually the best of the circumstances. Um, the uh, the average rate of survival is seven years. Um, so usually within a seven year period, they'll end up dead by, by any number of means. Um, and then, uh, the, actually one of the saddest things that happens is you have trafficking victims who start to cooperate with their trafficker in order to get better treatment. They become that trafficker's bottom girl and then transition into becoming a trafficker themselves. Uh, and we've seen that happen. I mean, that, that, that happens a lot. Uh, and that's actually part of the human traffickers business model. So has the internet then made all young people vulnerable to this or do the traffickers particularly target care homes, orphanages, people they feel will have no parents who can call the cops Yes. Uh, so all young people are vulnerable. All young people with access to the internet and all young people in general are vulnerable to some type of exploitation. You start adding the complicating factors that I was speaking of earlier, and that just increases their vulnerability. So traffickers aren't going to spend a lot of time um, with uh with low probability resources, right? So great example, there was uh, conspiracy theories going around the internet in, in the United States about uh, uh, if you found a water bottle on, uh, on your car, that that was a human trafficker who was marking your car as a young lady, um, you know, to, so, that, so that he knew, you know, which car to watch uh, to come abduct you. Complete, absolute, as you would say, rubbish just not true. Um, there was uh, this conspiracy theory going around that a online furniture company was, uh, was selling children and, and young girls through their website. 
completely not true. Um, traffickers don't need to go to those kinds of lengths um, because there are so many vulnerable populations in the world. So runaways, um, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children uh, estimates that within 48 hours of being a runaway, a runaway girl will be approached by a human trafficker. Um, you have, uh, like you said, uh, orphanages, um, uh, children in the United States at 18 years old, they, they do what's called aging out of the foster care system. So they'll go from 17 and uh, 364 days old to having a house and, and people that are responsible for them to, to at 18 and one day old, no longer having a house and anybody who's responsible for them. Um, that's incredibly sad. That just created a very vulnerable person who is now most likely going to be approached by a human trafficker. And, and, and you really have to remove the emotion from this and just look at it through a strict academic lens. This is their, these human traffickers, this is their business and they're good at it because they've got a lot of reps at it. And they were trained and mentored by people who were good at it because they had a lot of reps at it. Um, so they know to go hang out at bus stops in the United States and look for what appears to be runaways. They know to hang out outside of community colleges and fast food restaurants, and uh, they know how to target the types of people that they're looking for. Um, and that's just here in the United States, right? Um, and so we start talking about Western countries in general. Um, you might have a uh, I, actually, there's there's a story um, from one of our advisors uh, who who works with us at Deliver Fund, um, a woman named Tamea Nagy, uh, and she has a phenomenal book you can buy on our uh, on our store at deliverfund.org, and her book details how she grew up in Bucharest and uh, applied for a job as a nanny, so she thought in Toronto got to Toronto, they took her passport and uh, immediately abused her and put her in a strip club and made her start dancing. Uh, and then kept taking the money saying that she, you know, it's, it's called debt bondage, saying that she owed them for all the money that she had, that they had spent to bring her into Canada. Um, and she knew there was a chance that this could all be for, for not. Uh, that it could all not be true, but she was willing to take that chance because of the circumstances that she was coming out of in Romania. And you see that in Moldova and Croatia and all over, uh, you know, all over Eastern Europe, all over, uh, you know, impoverished countries, right? South America, Central America, India. Um, and so, it, so, that's why when you start looking at the strategy for fighting human trafficking, why we're so focused on the human trafficker, because unfortunately, in this day and age, the population of vulnerable people is almost incalculable. So when you start looking at the economics of this, right, the supply of what is the, the product is unlimited. So you can't really fight human trafficking when the supply of that product is unlimited. Um, the demand, unfortunately, is also unlimited, um, right? Uh, predominantly male, 
especially when we start talking about the commercial sex industry. And so it's very important for us as a society to understand, you know, what what's connecting the two, the 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 supply to the demand. It's the human trafficker. And so that's what we need to target with as much vigilance as we do anything else. What procedures or protocol do you have in place to extricate people who are being trafficked? And what success success stories do you have? So we uh, the first is, you know, when people hear that our background is military special operations and intelligence agencies, and, you know, we came from kinetic units within those intelligence agencies, immediately they think that we're kicking doors and rogue vigilante justice taking things in their own hands, right? Like it's some kind of Liam Neeson movie. Um, uh, I like to say that, you know, the taken movies, while entertaining, are not documentaries. Uh, we, we work directly with law enforcement. We like to say that, you know, we were shooters and now we just use computers. Uh, we work directly with law enforcement so that those, uh, those law enforcement um, officers have the intelligence that they need. Uh, now it's a law enforcement officer that then rescues the victim and then puts them into the system, uh, you know, for victim restoration. Okay. Have you got actual stories you can tell us about? Didn't you guys get something closed down? Was it, what was it called? Back, back page? Yes. Or something? Yes. Uh, so we, we attacked the human trafficking system holistically. Uh, and one of the, the most prolific online advertisers globally was a company uh, called Backpage.com. Uh, we were one of many different groups um, involved, uh, primarily most of them were law enforcement, uh, but we provided a lot of the intelligence that helped law enforcement figure out how they were laundering their money and what it was they were actually doing. Uh, and, and, and now if you go to Backpage.com, you'll see a big logo there that says that uh, their website was seized by the Department of Justice. And not only was it seized by the Department of Justice, but we then um, happened to know that their headquarters was uh, was going to be unoccupied. So we actually moved our International Human Trafficking Analysis Center and our headquarters into the old Backpage.com space. Uh, and there, there's many, many stories we can tell. Um, there's there's not. There's not many that we can tell from the social media perspective, but if people follow us on social media, follow us on YouTube um, and uh, or go just go to the deliverfund.org website, you can find uh, stories of of success stories of, you know, in one case, a human trafficking victim literally being pulled out of the trunk of a car by a uh, by a law enforcement officer. Um, and here we are five years later after that, um, she actually is doing very well, uh, and is actually working for us as a consultant now. What was Backpage actually doing? And what was the story of the 12 year old who was re-advertised at 18 years old? Yeah. So Backpage, uh, um, and this isn't, you know, just my opinion anymore. These, uh, these executives actually pled guilty to this. Uh, to a number of charges, but but human trafficking was one of them. Uh, so what they were doing was uh, when somebody would advertise a, a minor for sex on their website, they were actually changing that age. Um, and they had some computer programs doing this automatically instead of flagging it and bringing it to somebody's attention and saying, hey, tell the tell law enforcement about this now. 
um, their computer programs were changing the name to 18 or changing the age to 18 so that the ad could go through. So think wow. about the evil there. Um, wow. Now, when it comes to the, you know, conversation around, uh, you know, persons who are prostituted or escorts, as we call them, we all know what's actually happening. Uh, and the, the various websites um, that provide advertising for those, um, uh, for, for the people engaging in prostitution, we, th that's not really our fight. Um, the data is very clear on if you legalize prostitution, you get more human trafficking. Every single country that's ever tried it, Germany is the last one, they see a massive spike in human trafficking. So we know that is the case. Um, however, the Nordic model of decriminalization of prostitution uh, works very well. And we know the data shows that decrim decriminalization of prostitution actually brings down numbers of human trafficking. Um, but at the end of the day, those are just policies. Um, you've got to look at what is facilitating the human trafficking business to happen at scale. And what is happening is the proliferation of, of, of internet technologies. So law enforcement doesn't have the right to approach you in your home, thank God, um, right? Or, or just approach you in your hotel room, um, in any of your private spaces. Well, because traffickers don't have to advertise their victims on the street anymore, they now advertise their victims online which means that it's much more difficult for law enforcement to find them. But that's where we come in at Deliver Fund because what we do is we put together all of that cyber intelligence package um, and we make sure that if something is happening overseas and we have the intel, all the right jurisdictions are, are informed in, on the case holistically. So how difficult is it then to actually arrest have a trafficker arrested and prosecuted and put away for a long period of time from speaking to you just now i get the impression there are layers of insulation you gave the example of someone who had been trafficked and then became a procurer perhaps that woman would be stationed in that property so when the police raid it then they're arresting really you know someone who's a victim and someone who was a victim who's who's entered into criminality which creates all kinds of complexities for prosecutors right. i would imagine Right. And so uh, that's actually part of the problem that we address through the training courses that we provide for law enforcement. Um, it's always been a problem where you would have law enforcement would go arrest what they thought was a prostitute and arrest her for prostitution. Um, but it turned out she was a human trafficking victim. She was being forced to do this, but now she has a prostitution charge and we just made her life more difficult. So we train law enforcement, uh, other groups do as well, um, but we train law enforcement how to look for the signs of human trafficking so that they can approach that person as a victim and say, hey, we know that you, and, and that's where our intel comes in because our intel will actually inform their conversation and they can say, we know that you are actually a victim. We know that this person is your trafficker. All we need is a, is a nod yes, and you're going to get the services you need as a victim and that trafficker is gonna get the handcuffs, not you. Uh, and one of the important things uh, for every country to do, and one of the things that, that we do in the United States is we have what's called the T-Visa. So folks from uh, who come across the border, uh, right? We, we talk about human smuggling and human trafficking sometimes in the same conversation, but those are two very different things. Um, however, 
peoples who are smuggled across a border and exist outside the legal system of that country are then vulnerable to becoming human trafficking, human trafficking victims. And so you can see a general theme here, which is if you have vulnerabilities um, within populations, those vulnerabilities will be exploited by human traffickers for, for their ends, which is profit. So what, what we do by focusing on that human trafficker is try to actually protect those vulnerable populations by making sure there's no human trafficker to prey on them in the first place. So with traffickers you've helped put away, what sentence lengths are they receiving? And do you think those sentence lengths are sufficient? I think anything less than life is probably uh, <laughs> too too low, too low for human trafficking. Um, the, unfortunately, the the minimum mandatory sentence for human trafficking in the United States is 15 years. Uh, at the state level, there's multiple states: Montana, Texas, places uh, predominantly in the West where you can get a life sentence at the at a, on a state level human trafficking charge. Uh, but the, the, the highest sentence that we've seen in one of our, uh, one of the cases that we were involved in, uh, was three life sentences. Uh, but that human trafficker, um, I mean, that, that was a horrific case. Uh, human trafficker murdered one of the victims in a park, uh, in front of his other victims as a warning. Um, he was keeping the victims in dog crates, uh, force feeding them narcotics. Um, a very, very brutal brutal person um and and he was recruiting relatively young uh young girls who were working at uh, fast food restaurants as their summer jobs so for people scratching their heads wondering where this is happening you mentioned that the super bowl becomes like an absolute center for it could you expand on that a bit please Yes. Yeah, so the Super Bowl, um, we were just at uh, what's called WrestleMania, um, which is this kind of like fake wrestling thing that happens. Um, uh, we were, uh, you know, we, we've been at a number of these different sporting events. So anytime you have a group of people coming together uh, for some type of leisure activity, so in this case to watch the Super Bowl, what you have is a market opportunity for human traffickers. Um, and so we see human traffickers will actually coordinate with each other. So last time uh, we had the Super Bowl, uh, the Super Bowl was in Tampa, Florida. So human traffickers who lived in Tampa, Florida were calling their human trafficker friends from around the country saying, hey, bring your girls down here because they didn't have enough, uh, you know, enough girls to service the demand that was out there. Uh, and so, it, so it's not just the Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl. It's Shot Show. It's the Consumer Electronics Show. It's the um, uh, the adult uh, entertainment industry conventions. It's uh, really any type of convention. Uh, you know, NBA Final Four. All of these different things that 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 are various sporting events um, where people will come from around the world, really. Um, to watch the events, World Cup, great example, um, right? Massive human trafficking spikes anytime you see this, uh, anytime you have a bunch of people coming together for, you know, for sport or leisure. If a trafficked uh, boy or girl were watching this video right now, what would you advise them to enable them to break free? Uh I would be uh, shocked if that was the case, um, because usually they don't have that level of freedom, but if they were, 
um, I would let them know that law enforcement is their friend. Um, law enforcement is not law enforcement is really the only way out. Uh, and so law enforcement is their friend and it is in their best interest to cooperate with law enforcement. And if, if law enforcement doesn't believe them that they are a human trafficker, tell that law enforcement officer to contact deliver fund. And we will give that law enforcement officer the intelligence they need to be able to prove the human trafficking case. And that law enforcement officer, if you're a law enforcement officer watching this, it's significantly better for your career to have a human trafficker that you put away instead of a human trafficking victim. Do you have resources on your website for concerned parents? We do. Uh, so you can find any of those resources by uh, visiting deliverfund.org. That's D-E-L-I-V-E-R fund.org. Uh, you can find us at deliverfund on all the social media platforms, and you can find us on YouTube as well. Um, I think one of the best series that we put out uh, is put out by one of our senior targeting analysts uh, by the name of of Kara Smith. We call her uh, Kara the Huntress because she is just so good at hunting down human traffickers. Um, she had an Air Force background and then she uh, went to the National Security Agency and then the Department of Justice. So she's been doing this a very long time. And uh, she actually has infiltrated uh human traffickers, social media platforms. And she will, she puts out these little one to two minute videos uh, that we have consolidated on YouTube that actually show how human traffickers work. Uh, and so that is, uh, that is actually one of the best ways to educate yourself is to, you know, watch those videos and see how a human trafficker works because then those parents will know how best to, talk to their child about how to prevent human trafficking and they'll know what will resonate with them and what will not. And we're going to have all your links below the videos. I urge people to support your work. I get asked a lot about the relationship between the cartels and human traffickers. And I have a guy out of Sinaloa who used to work for a cartel. And he said that the drug lords are making so much money from the product they don't need to be risking getting involved in human trafficking. And also the, um, the there's like a, you know, don't harm women or kids moral code, but right. there are loose cannons within the industry that, you know, have their fingers in many pies. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so uh, we've, uh, we've, we've had the same uh, information given to us. Uh, I actually have a friend who, has a lot of friends who were uh, were members of the the mafia, um, and they specifically, you know, like hurting children was just a no go, um, right? And and so in many ways, uh, you know, coming from my background, I don't I don't understand how it's okay to you know run massive amounts of drugs into a country that kill people, um, you know. But I'm glad to know that there is a line, um, and you know, forcing. Uh, you know, nobody, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, we do have to admit that nobody is forcing anybody to do these narcotics, um, uh, but forcing children to do heinous, heinous things uh, is, should just not be okay for, for anybody. Um, and so, uh, you know, when I was in Afghanistan, as an example, I could understand why 
some of these villagers were shooting at us. Um, I mean, you start driving down the my the the streets in my neighborhood with a uh, with you know with a tank, and you're going to get shot at uh, by me as well. So it, you could a- academically understand it. It wasn't an excuse, but it was a reason you could understand. There is no excuse or reason at all for justifying the exploitation of children or other human beings in general. So how are we going to get governments to take the resources from things like the war on drugs and put it into trafficking and protecting kids? You'd think that would be a priority. We're doing it right now. It's going to be a generational shift. It's going to take a lot of, uh, it's going to take a, it's going to take a lot of this right here dialogue where with, you know, thousands or tens of thousands or millions of people getting uh, informed about what is happening. I mean, we do have to, we do have to hold our politicians accountable. Every time I hear a politician say that human trafficking is extremely important to them, I say, that is awesome. Show me the budget line item that funds your fight against human trafficking. Because we can see the budget line item that funds the war on narcotics and alcohol, tobacco, firearms, property crime, auto theft. Where is the budget line item that funds the fight against human trafficking in the area that you're responsible for as a politician? And if they can't point to that budget line item, then they're not actually taking the human trafficking problem seriously. And it is our responsibility as voters in Western countries to make sure that our politicians are held accountable for what they do or do not do about the human trafficking problem. And if they don't do anything about the human trafficking problem, then we need to get rid of them as politicians and put somebody in office who will do something about the human trafficking problem. And the next time I hear a politician say that they're tough on crime, Right or a DA say that they're tough on crime, or an attorney general say that they're tough on crime, but I don't see a laundry list of human trafficking prosecutions, then I know that they are lying to us. They're not actually tough on the right crime. You got a question come in from the viewers, and that is, are traffickers using online methods more and more to groom kids? And if so, how have you adapted to this at Deliver Fund in your fight against trafficking? So um, human traffickers are using online methods predominantly. Um, actually, physical grooming in, uh, in you know, developing that, that relationship with them is actually pretty rare. It mainly happens through the internet. Uh, and how we do that, uh, that is our secret sauce uh, that I'm not going to reveal. Um, what I can say is that if you're a human trafficker and you touch the internet, it is just a matter of time before we figure out who you are, where you are, and we arrange a meeting between you and law enforcement. How vulnerable are kids getting enticed into the modeling industry? Because we saw with the Epstein case, promises of becoming Victoria's Secrets models, Jean-Luc Brunel, this pipeline from the East European countries. What's your perspective on that? It's it's very real um, and it's a big problem. And, you know, men who are exploiting uh, these women, um, well, they're, they're bullies as what they are. 
And, uh, you know, myself, um, I know a thing or two about uh, confronting bullies. So does my co-founder who's a Navy SEAL sniper. So does my director of operations who was a, uh, you know, who was a Navy SEAL and an intelligence operative himself. And so, um, you know, our job as men is to protect the vulnerable, not to exploit them. So the Weinsteins, the, the Epsteins, these cowardly, cowardly, small feeble little men who would abuse vulnerable people, um, right? Some, some, you know, beautiful woman from Moldova who just is looking to get out of, you know, the poverty that she's in. Um, and they, they, in their, their evil mindset, um, convince themselves that they're helping them. Um, it's absolute trash. Um, and they are absolute trash and God loves them. But it's up to us to to hold them accountable for, you know, for the abuse that they're uh, they're visiting on the vulnerable. How prevalent are female traffickers? We've got the example of Galen Maxwell. And how do you think her case will play out? So uh, how her case specifically will play out, um, I don't necessarily want to comment on. Um, however, vulnerable. Uh, uh, female traffickers are very common. Uh, nobody knows how, man- how to manipulate another woman like another woman. Um, unfortunately, most of the time, and obviously there are, there are rarities, um, but most of the time when you have a female human trafficker, she usually was a human trafficking victim who became a human trafficker. And that doesn't excuse her, her, her uh, conduct as a human trafficker, but it does provide us a good reason to at least have a little bit of, um, of transparency into what created that female human trafficker. Uh, but, but, but make no mistake about it, by and large, the market driver is men on both sides of that equation. And I think it is, it is our responsibility as men to hold ourselves to a higher standard and to hold other men to higher standards. If your investigation led to you um, discovering a trafficker was located in a foreign country, um, such as Ukraine or, you know, uh, somewhere perhaps that doesn't have extradition. What would you do at that stage? We have a number of techniques um, and we do have <laughs> friends in other countries. Uh, and it's all about incentivizing the system to do the right thing. Right. So just because uh, we, we've had a number of human traffickers who were involved in other things and maybe uh, the prosecution in that country or in that jurisdiction didn't necessarily have the resources or the or the will to go after the human trafficking problem, but that's okay. We've had them put away for money laundering. We've had traffickers put away for all kinds of crimes um, that unfortunately, uh, at least in the United States, have higher sentences than uh, than human trafficking. Uh, you can get a significantly higher sentence for money laundering, as an example, than you can for human trafficking. Uh, and prosecutors really like those money laundering cases because they're just math. Either you did or you did not. Love the way you smiled before you answered that question, Nick. If, I, <laughs> if, if anyone's got any further questions, um, if you could please post them now because we're, we're wrapping up. Um, someone has sent something in. Let's have a, let's have a look here. It says... Um, is a female trafficker of women worse than a male trafficker of women, in your view, given the concept of sisterhood? This has come from Matthew Steeples. 
I, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think that anybody who, uh, who would exploit another human, uh, is, is just an evil person. Um, and I don't care what their gender identity is. I don't care what their, uh, you know, what their religious affiliation is or excuses they have about what might've happened to them in the past. I mean, this is, this is, this is right and wrong that is woven into the fabric of every person's soul. Uh, and so again, it, it's the last of the black and white issues. You're with us or against us on this. Another Nick has asked, why do you think there is no global focus on child sex trafficking? You know, that is a very complicated question. Um, and I don't have a good answer to it. Uh, I think in some countries, uh, what we consider child trafficking is actually a cultural thing. Um, I think that uh, there are there are poverty issues at play. There are uh, crime issues at play. There are violence issues at play. Uh, there, there's that, that is a very very complicated uh, complicated problem. Um, one of the things I do think, though, that we need to answer that problem is significantly more focus on the study of the human trafficking markets globally. Uh, governments can tell you exactly what happens with narcotics um, markets, with uh, with illicit weapons markets, um, but they can't tell us exactly what is happening with human trafficking markets. And again, that just goes to highlight, uh, you know, highlight the problem. Uh, also, universities do all types of research in poverty and and, and these various issues, yet very few of them do any coordinated, robust research around the human trafficking problem. And, and that's a problem that we as a, uh, you know, as a society need to solve. Have you come across any cases of people being trafficked so that the organs could be used? Yes. Uh, unfortunately, we, we have seen that, um, which is, uh, which is equally horrific. Uh, and when we talk about human trafficking, you know, there's so many different types of trafficking, but at the end of the day, it's just an exploitation of a human, um, regardless of the use. Uh, and so the coordination of the data around Oregon trafficking and labor trafficking and commercial sex trafficking, um, you know, child brides, all of that, uh, we, we just need to have a better understanding of. Just got two more questions here. Let's see. Is there a specific area in the world right now where trafficking is exponentially worse than other regions in your experience? Depends on the type of trafficking. Uh, so when we talk about commercial sex trafficking, uh, we're, we're specifically talking prim primarily about the Western world. Uh, when we talk about forced labor, we're primarily talking about second and third world countries. So it really depends on, on the type of trafficking uh, and really what is happening, right? If, if the price of oil is high, you're going to see more trafficking in, in oil rich countries. If the, um, uh, you know, if, if the economy in, in one Western country is very good versus another, then you're going to see more commercial sex trafficking over there. I mean, really the trafficking follows the money um, at all levels. Just get this final question then, and it is. Um, let's see, where did it go? How do they get to these younger children? Is it through CPS, DFCS in the US? Is it adoptions, foster care? It boggles my mind how so many children go missing. And I remember when I used to visit Arizona as a kid, and my aunt would take me to the post office, 
and a wall was just completely plastered with uh, photos of missing kids. I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, how, how, how did they get to these younger kids? Um, so most of the kids that they, uh, that human traffickers target are just targeted online. Um, however, runaways, uh, foster kids, uh, you know, any vulnerable population ends up, ends up, you know, being targeted by, by human traffickers. Um, we've seen some, and I think this is kind of what part of this question alludes to, um, we've seen in this, uh, this, uh, are you familiar with this QAnon conspiracy weirdness that's going on yeah. here in the States? Yeah. Um, completely not true. I have worked at the absolute highest levels of the government, highest security clearance there is. Um, I cannot believe that people have so much faith that they think that the government could pull off some type of conspiracy. I mean, the government can barely figure out how to put its pants on in the morning. <laughs> and yet <laughs> people think that the government can pull off some type of grand conspiracy. Um but, uh, you know, the, the child the child services system um, uh, at all levels is is very broken. Um, it's very underfunded. Um, I have we have we have seen individuals who are social workers who are working um, uh, really who are pedophiles who end up getting those types of jobs because that gives them more access to children one person being involved in something bad within a broader system does not make the entire uh, broad system bad. Um, but, you know, the, the child services and family protective services and all that is, is a great example of underfunding. Um, we cannot expect those, system, those systems to work at the levels that we want them to work at if we're not willing to give them the resources they need in order to accomplish that mission. Wow, absolutely brilliant, Nick. The world needs more people like you doing this kind of stuff. And how can people support you? I know people are going to be deeply moved by what they've just heard. All your links will be down there. What's the best ways people can support you? Best ways to support us is uh, is really to financially partner with us. Uh, the work that we do at Deliver Fund, this is not volunteer work. Um, for our analysts, this is a full-time job. They work incredibly hard. Uh, and uh, we we have to we have to keep them working towards this issue. Uh, the technology that we build is absolute state of the art, uh, but that doesn't come cheap. Uh, and the the resources that we're providing to human trafficking victims and to law enforcement uh, is is free to the departments uh, that that need it. So uh, so yeah, the the best way to to really support what it is that we're doing is to financially you know partner with us introduce us to companies who want to help out to uh, people with uh, very specific expertise and skill sets who who want to help out uh, and really just in general uh, spread the word and tell as many people as you can. We get messages from ex-cops, ex-soldiers all the time saying, what can we do? Perhaps I should put them in contact with you. Yes. Um, the one caveat I will say is uh, if you come from a background like me and you're a special operator and intelligence operative and you know you you, you kind of live for the thrill of the hunt uh we're not a rogue vigilante organization uh working for deliver fund you'll never leave a keyboard uh right so if you don't have the requisite computer skills 
um, you know, gun skills and, you know, on the ground skills are irrelevant uh, within our fight against against human trafficking. Uh, and so really the best thing to do, you know, ex-military, ex-law enforcement, especially ex-military, um, ex-military has uh, a bit of a culture of massage parlors and uh, and brothels. And I tell all of my friends who who were in the military, I tell them that if they've engaged in what they think is the prostitution community within the commercial sex industry more than three times, there is a hundred percent chance that they have fed money into the human trafficking system and actually engaged in those activities with a human trafficker. That's just a very harsh reality. That's not political. Um, that's just what the data shows. So, uh, so thinking twice about uh, the websites that people contribute to, the um, you know the extracurricular activities that they contribute to, uh, will go a long way in helping to fight uh, human trafficking by reducing demand. Do you ever come to London, Nick? I don't, uh, but uh, I'm actually trying to trying to limit my overseas uh, travel right now um, because it's quite a pain. Uh, but uh, I hope to uh, actually within the near future. Well, let us know. We'd love to get you in the studio and and do some more on this. It's um, right at the forefront of our mission. So, you know, again, we salute you. Thanks for spending so much time with us this evening and anybody watching this, all the links are going to be down there. So please go over and support Nick's work. Cheers from London, my friend. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Take care. Good night.